tomorrow, only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Shimmer's Day, June 19th, 2023. On the show today, news and listener questions. Then in our main segment, we'll all learn why experiments on human beings are so tightly regulated when Jim tells us about the first time Disney used inflatable costumes for its parade performers. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that everyone you meet is fighting a battle you can't see. So attack while they're distracted. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Uh, Len, I, I'm beginning to think you, you've, you're spending too much time in Manhattan. <laughs> that seems like a very New York take on life. It's like... You know, just saying, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a dog eat dog world out there. You need every advantage you can get. There we go. Wow. Okay. So, all right, something lighter for next week. I have that on the menu. All right. All right. Okay. Cool. 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 <laughs> Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Bobby Mahoney, Maxfield Vincent, Liz Young, and TII Eleven, and longtime subscribers Dre Guillen, Mark Hardy, Jay Furness, and Daryl Vetur. Jim. These are the cast members responsible for the chewing gum ban in Disney parks worldwide. It all dates back to a 1979 Epcot Pavilion proposal for the Wrigley Chewing Gum Company that involved the Abe Lincoln animatronic and the pre-release strawberry formula of Hubba Bubba. Speaking for the group, Liz said that it was a freak accident and they remain hopeful that the still missing double mint twins will turn up safe and sound. True story. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure whether to go with the Doublement twins were missing or they were actually triplets. I, you know, <laughs> so much of pop culture I was unaware of. You know, it was funny because Laurel Laurel mm. just made a quip about the Doublement twins the other day. I'm like, oh, I got to work this into the show somehow. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's do the news, folks. The Disney Dish news is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, uh, I know you saw this, but the AECOM theme park attendance numbers for 2022 are out, and they have some interesting trends to look at. So for our listeners, uh, there's a company called AECOM that uh, purports to estimate how many guests visited theme parks around the world every year, and they work closely with the theme park company. So while Disney doesn't give out official attendance numbers, they work behind the scenes with AECOM, and most people generally accept these as mm -hmm. fairly accurate estimates. I've actually seen some internal numbers from Disney that correlate to this, so I don't think they're exact, but they're very, very close. Like, they're good enough as okay. far as I'm concerned. All right, so Jim, okay. uh, mm -hmm. Magic Kingdom theme park at Walt Disney World was still the highest attended uh, or the most attended uh, theme park in the United States in 2022 with 17 million guests. Disneyland Park was number two. Tokyo Disneyland was number three, Tokyo Disney Seas was four, Universal Studios Japan five, Animal Kingdom sixth. Actually, that's not right. So they have it listed, uh, but the uh, the sixth highest was uh, Hollywood Studios. Actually, you know what, Jim? This table is completely uh, unorganized. Look at this. Hmm. 
Yeah. Universal mm. Studios Florida had 10.75 million people. It's listed as 11th, even though Tokyo Disney Seas had fewer people. So this is interesting. Mm. Mm. All right. So taking, taking what I can out of this, Jim, is that Universal mm. jumped way up in attendance. Mm. So the Magic Kingdom was still the number one attended theme park in the world. But Islands of Adventure was number two at 11.02 million people. Hollywood Studios was number three at 10.9 million. Universal Studios Florida was number four at 10.75 million. Epcot was number five at 10 million. And Animal Kingdom, number six at 9.03 million. But Jim, uh, mm-hmm. this is interesting because I think this is the first non-pandemic year in which a Universal Orlando park has been in the top three in Orlando. They do break that down, right? I'm talking, I mean, again, it's a disorganized uh, graphic chart. But Yeah, this is... Uh, this is making my uh, uh, my uh, information uh, organization palm sweat. But mm-hmm. the, uh, okay. the interesting thing I think you want to look at here is mm-hmm. 2022 attendance versus pre-pandemic 2019. Mm-hmm. Because the thing you see there is that Universal's attendance was up 2% 2022 mm-hmm. versus 2029. But Disney's attendance in Orlando was down 20%. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was talking to some people about this, and they're like, well, you know, international visitors weren't allowed into the United States for most of 2022, which was true in and of mm-hmm. itself. But mm-hmm. the, the underlying assumption there is that international guests visit Disney disproportionately in Orlando versus Universal. And I'm not mm-hmm. entirely sure that explains the 22% difference between the two. I mean, I would think, no, that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've heard that uh, 2023 is not going to be any better. In fact, it, it's likely to be worse than 2022. You know, but take that number, you know, 20% mm-hmm. drop, but correlate that with what we're hearing about people who are using individual lightning lanes, likewise Genie Plus. Yeah. We're literally looking at the attendance drop, but we're not hearing that in regard to the revenue that the park is making, right? Yeah, yeah this is... Uh it's, it's a couple of things, right? You could have fewer guests, but charge them a lot more and still have the same revenue. And all Disney really cares about is revenue, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think we haven't seen is that the people who went in 2022 and the people who have gone in 2023 could mm-hmm. be people who go regularly but are now the one and dones. And you and mm-hmm. I have heard this no. in all kinds of emails from people that are like, yeah, we're going to go somewhere else now because the nickel and diming uh, is it. So it could be that the supply of people who are willing to come back after the pandemic and give the new systems a shot mm-hmm. has dried up. And that would be very worrying. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but the other actions that Disney took this week make mm-hmm. me think that that down 20% number is not better for 2023. Also for the Disney execs that are listening to this, mm-hmm. this would be another data point in favor of starting a massive ride building campaign. So I agree. I agree. All right. So let's go through the rest of the news. Jim, the winter 2023 holidays mm-hmm. are coming into focus in Disney World. So Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party dates were announced. Mm-hmm. Uh, 25 in all for 2023. That's one more than last year. Starts November 9th, ends December 22nd. The cost is $170 to $212 per person, including tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, resort guests can purchase on June 29th, and the general public starts on July 6th. So that's good. One more Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party date is always good, right? I agree. I agree. Um, still, wow, that number, 170 to $212 per person, though. Yeah, then that includes tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. it's a lot. 
The other news is that uh, Epcot got its Festival of the Holidays dates, November 24th to December 30th. So that starts a little bit later than Mickey's Very Merry, but it goes a little bit longer, too. Mm-hmm. Also, Jim, the big news that Disney's announced a new holiday event for Hollywood Studios, Disney's Jollywood Nights. You know, and the first time I saw this, Jim, I thought, are they trying to make, is this like a Bollywood-themed thing? <laughs> but no, it's jolly like Jolly Holidays, not a take yeah. on Bollywood. Yeah. Although, mm-hmm. if they wanted to do a Diwali festival mm-hmm. and do the Festival of Lights and call it Disney's Bollywood Nights, I would be 100% all over that. Anyway, Disney's Jollywood Nights, but I digress. Okay. Disney's mm-hmm. Jollywood Nights, a new separately ticket event, starts at 8.30 p.m., runs till 12.30 a.m. on 10 select nights, November 11th to December 20th. That's fairly well spaced out. It is. It is. Uh, you can get into the park as early as 7 p.m. with your valid ticket. They don't require additional theme park tickets or reservations. So the uh, Disney says you'll be welcomed to Disney's Jollywood Nights with a DJ spinning a mix of holiday tunes, uh, commissary lane, has a Latin street fair. And then, Jim, this is the thing that's most interesting to me. Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy host a live holiday special. Yes. I, you know, that might be worth the $170 to $190 this thing is going to cost. I have to admit, I'm channeling my inner Philip J. Fry at this point. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. <laughs> <Shut up laughs> you know, like, I'll, I'll do it for that. I will literally okay. do it for that. Yeah. yeah so. Also, uh, Hyperion Theater is supposed to have some sort of spirited sing-along. That's Disney's mm-hmm. words. More details to come on all of this. I, you know, the Muppet thing alone, if they did it, if they did a Muppet themed after hours event, Jim, we would all be all over that, I think. Actually, what I've been hearing is on the heels of how well Muppet Mayhem, the new oh limited God, those are series, so funny. yeah, uh, has done. Finally, we're going to see some more Muppet stuff for the park. So this this evidently is the start of that. So round of applause. You know, Jim, what was, the, what was the thing we saw on social media last week about one of the show writers from the Muppet show confirming a rumor about something? Was it Star Wars related? I remember I don't want to talk about it, and then I wasn't near a computer, so I couldn't write it down. But it was like, basically they were confirming. Was it the Galactic Star Cruiser? That they were pitching. Oh, oh. I'll, I'll go back and look at it. We'll talk about it next. <laughs> okay, because okay. you know, I have to tell you, at the Disneyana event I I did this past weekend at Dayton Disney, I cannot tell you the number of people who came up to me and and was just talking about Len's idea about putting the Muppets in the Galactic Star Cruiser. It was like that's the greatest thing they'd ever heard. <laughs> Again, Disney, if you're listening, you can have the idea for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Jim, last thing. Uh, Disney announced hotel discounts for the 2023 holidays of 30 to 40%. So going back to the attendance uh, things we were talking about, 40% off on these hotels. Animal Kingdom Lodge, Jumbo House, Beach Club, Boardwalk, Grand Flow, Old Key West, Riviera, 40% off, Saratoga, <laughs> and Yacht Club. 35% on the cabins at Fort Wilderness, Coronado mm-hmm. Springs, and Port Orleans Riverside, and then 30% off on everything else. That's 40%. And it's uh, it uh, runs through December 22nd for the discounts, 23rd. So Wow. Yeah. That's a significant savings, especially if you think about like Animal Kingdom Lodge at 40% off. Animal Kingdom mm-hmm. Lodge is the least expensive mm-hmm. of the deluxe resorts. I noticed Wilderness Lodge isn't, uh, isn't on the discounts, probably because it's super popular, but AKL. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, it was on that. that that's kind of amazing. 40% off. Yeah. That is. That is. Uh, though, quick question. I do see mm-hmm. Grand Flow is, is in there. Mm-hmm. What's the sense on how long the rehab project of the lobby and that sort of thing is going to take? <laughs> is it a, one of those, hey, pal, you should live so long situations? Or, you know, well, what, you, what? you and I talked last week after the show ended about what's hmm. going on at Caribbean Beach and its refurb, right? And we're not, mm-hmm. I can't talk, we're not going to talk about it on the show yet because it's mm-hmm. not quite confirmed. But I think it's mm-hmm. the same thing. I think it's. I think they're running into into supply chain or um, you know people issues there. So Oof. okay. And I mean the grand flow. You think about what the grand flow went through during the pandemic with the NBA bubble and the oh, stuff that oh, they had yeah. to put up there and then take down. Yeah. And then all of the stuff that it did mm-hmm. that the grand flow did when they converted the one building over to DVC. I mean, there's just yeah. a lot going on at the Grand Floridian. Yeah, and it is one of the real hubs of the holiday season. So the fact that if it has the – that this is listed for 40% off, I have the uneasy feeling construction will be continuing into the holidays. Yeah. I mean, 40% off is is considerable. And it it, it tells me that the second half of the year is soft Mm. for Disney. I'm going to do a quick uh, run by – the resorts over the next few weeks just to see how busy they are now. Because right now mm-hmm. we should be in peak summer mm-hmm. vacation schedule. The first couple of weeks of June mm-hmm. are peak summer vacation schedule. No one wants to go to Florida in July. And then, you know, in August, everyone's going back to uh, going back to school. So this should sure, be it. I'll go back and see sure. where we're at. Okay. All right. Last bit of uh, holiday news. Disney says mm-hmm. that Tron and the Magic Kingdom will continue to use a virtual queue for the Halloween and Christmas parties. With mm-hmm. new virtual queue slots opening up at 6 p.m. on the days that events are running. And that's just for event people. So that's good. I think it was Alicia Stella who was sharing the images of the standby queue that's been erected outside of Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. It's one of those things where they need a standby queue because mm-hmm. it's a reliable ride. Normally, you know, Disney runs virtual queues mm-hmm. when a ride first opens. For two reasons. One, because mm-hmm. the demand is so incredibly high, uh, you know, they're still going back to Bob Chapek's edict mm-hmm. that there should never be a 10-hour standby wait for anything. But mm-hmm. the second reason is that they're not sure if the ride is reliable, and that's in uh, the virtual queue is an easy way of balancing that demand. Mm-hmm. But for something like Guardians that's been around for over a year and is a fairly reliable ride, all things mm-hmm. considered, with Disney, the mm-hmm. only reason why they're running <laughs> virtual queue is mm-hmm. to sell individual lightning lanes for the people who couldn't get in for like I 100% believe that. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. so the the transition away from virtual queue and individual lightning lane to standby and individual mm-hmm. lightning lane for me is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because it shows that Disney's not artificially keeping the virtual queues in place to boost individual lightning lane revenue. Okay. Duly noted. Also Jim, uh, last little uh, thing here. I'm a uh, I don't know if you've ever been. Have you ever been to uh, to Mackinac Island in Michigan? I'm a huge fan of Somewhere in Time, if, okay. if that counts. I've seen that way too many times, so I feel like I have been there. So Laurel is a huge fan of mm. the Grand Hotel Resort, mm-hmm. right? So we've been to the Greenbrier in mm. West Virginia. And you're familiar with the Greenbrier, right? That's the one where the U.S. government dug out the basement as a nuclear fallout shelter for <laughs> Congress. I'm not making this up. This is all true. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I love that, you know, somebody's high school reunion. You know, to, to really have the- <laughs> you know what? If you want to go to the, to the bunker. So, the, yeah. so, you know, Laurel is a fan of the, of the Grand Hotel. So we mm-hmm. have a reservation for the, for the Grand, literally it's called the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. 
And the thing that's in common, the thing that all of these resorts have in common, and here I'm including like the Fairmonts in Canada and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The thing that all of these hotels have in common, Jim, is mm -hmm. that they're all decorated with wallpaper whose patterns can be seen from space. <laughs> like you yes. would think like if you if you have flowers in your wallpaper, mm -hmm. like they're an mm -hmm. inch or two wide, three inches wide. Yep. But if you have like a flower where the the span from petal to petal is measured in yardsticks, right? That's what it takes to get into. Anyway, so Laurel mm -hmm. and I were talking about what makes a resort a resort. Because mm -hmm. Disney uses the word resort, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And my two criteria for this, and listeners, you're welcome to add your own. Two things. One, wallpaper you can see from space. And then two, a resort has to have falconry. <laughs> you, have to, you have to be able to put a bird on your arm and have it fly off and come back to you. And that has to be an activity for it to be called a resort. Because the Greenbrier has mm -hmm. falconry. Mm -hmm. And so I think the only resort, the only thing that really Disney could call a resort in Walt Disney World is Fort Wilderness. Not that they have falconry, but you can mm -hmm. grab an animal, you know, whether it's a deer or an armadillo or a crocodile or whatever, alligator, you know, and, and do something with it. And so really Fort Wilderness is Disney's only resort. That's my, that's my hypothesis. Okay. That, that we're not going to get into the turkey buzzards and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Discovery Islands here. Because, you know, again, you know, yes, there, there were birds that you could have to hold in your arms. Yeah, it's what so, Disney did with them later. That uh, All right, we're not telling it. Yeah, so too. what does it take for a resort to really be a resort? And I think it's mm -hmm. unusual stuff. Like, you know, I would actually accept axe throwing in addition mm -hmm. to falconry. But you, okay. there, there has to be something sort of like mildly dangerous in the activities to be able to consider it a resort. So listeners, if you have ideas, let us know. One thing that actually my favorite Disney resorts have in common with Walmart is, is, is that elderly person who greets you at the door. <laughs> so we have vastly different uh, expectations for, for what we want to see in a resort. <laughs> what can I tell you, Len? That's my retirement plan, all right? I want to be the gentleman, the, the, the straw boater who stands out front and goes, hey, hello, hi, how are you? What's wrong with that? Yeah, so, all, all right. right. All right, Jim, we have time for a couple of listener questions. Uh, Mike mm. writes in with this. What are the chances that on July 6th that Genie Plus will sell out in advance, causing my greed and cheapness to ruin the day my friend and his family are visiting? This is for Disneyland. I'm happy to wake up at midnight on July 6th to buy the Genie Plus add-in for the day, but I have anxiety that there might be a sellout, and it's very hard to find info online about how Disneyland, how often Disneyland sells out. So, you know, July 6th is sort of the holiday week. Uh, Mike, mm -hmm. I would say if you're at all anxious about it, just set up an alarm and do it at midnight. Um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, wake up at seven and, mm -hmm. uh, actually I think genie plus you could only do in Disneyland when you get to the park, but go ahead and buy it. Right. I mean, just mm -hmm. set an alarm, do it. it takes two minutes. I wouldn't worry about it that much. And you know, if it's a case of staying up until midnight to buy it or waking up at 3am anxious that it might sell out, you know, get the good night's sleep and just buy it at midnight. I can go with it. Yeah. Also, uh, say, say hi to Ellie for us. Uh, Mike. Mm -hmm. All right, and here's a, a question from uh, Nads, and I think, Jim, this is for you. Mm -hmm. It's uh, uh, Nads writes in and says, ages ago, I remember it was reported that Disney were considering a name change for Hollywood Studios. And Jim, I think you and I talked about this. We did. We with did. names like Kaleidoscope, Excel, and Cinemagine considered. What happened with this? It seems to have disappeared, and Hollywood Studios remains a bit of a thematic hodgepodge. Oh my God, uh, I'm going to just, I'm going to have that tattooed. Hollywood Studios remains a bit of a thematic hodgepodge. So Jim, what do you think? Any, uh, any desire to change the name right now or are bigger fish to fry? 
When the deal lapsed in 2008, when finally Disney's deal to use the MGM as part of its third gate, that changed. Disney, they had been workshopping a number of names. And I think the one that they thought was going to catch was Disney's Cinemagic Kingdom. And that, that we have a Magic Kingdom, we have a Cinemagic Kingdom. But then, you know, just the decision was, look, that's too clever by half. And this is the studios. You know, there's Epcot, there's the Magic Kingdom, there's the studios, and there's Animal Kingdom. In the end, it's just like whatever this name is, it has Disney at one end, studios at the other, and something in the middle. And eventually, Hollywood became the default. It's like, all right, Disney's Hollywood Studios. And at this point, I think the company is fairly confident on, on how this park differentiates itself. I mean, it's not nothing. I mean, remember when they did the rebranding of this park, you know, and we're talking about the physical way that the the logo was handled. And we had Mickey and Minnie from Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway popping out of the O's. We had BB-8 and the Toy Story characters. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, that to Disney's way of thinking is how people identify this park now. It's uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, it's Toy Story Land, and it's the Mickey and Minnie ride inside of the icon of the park. And I don't see that changing. Yeah, I mean, the, the good thing is, is that Hollywood, the word Hollywood in the title expresses mm-hmm. that it has something to do with movies. Television yep. isn't a huge stretch from mm-hmm. that. And it's not like any of the names that they had proposed were obviously better than that. This park needs rides? It needs, it needs a lot of things, yeah. Yeah, but when you think about what's there now, it's possible to get a full day's entertainment out of the place. I mean, that said... Would be nice to see some of these things freshened up. Yeah, I mean there are a number of attractions that haven't been updated in twenty, thirty, you know, years, and that there you uh, go. that's that's Big. a long time. Yeah, that is a long time. So yeah, I think the I mean the big things for me for the studios it needs a few more rides, you know, like three mm-hmm. or four. Um, yep. It needs it needs better walking paths through the park. It does. It does. And know, then it still needs more dining options yeah. or improved and, dining options. Yeah. And remember, every so often, they put it on the table, the notion of tearing down the old feature animation Florida building and building the blow-through to Sunset Boulevard and that becoming a new land in the park. But it's just, it's Florida. There's a lot of other things to do. A lot of other things to uh, to worry about. All right, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, Yeah, but for now, Nads, I think uh, uh, we're sticking Mm -hmm. with Disney's Hollywood Studios. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us about the first time Disney used inflatable costumes in its parades. Take a deep breath, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Look, sometimes in life, we're faced with tough choices, and the path forward isn't always clear. And if you find yourself dealing with questions related to your career or your personal relationships or or anything else, really, therapy talking with someone about what you feel uncertain about can really be helpful. Case in point, my niece is going through some stuff right now. She was really unhappy with where she was working, but being in her early 30s and being in this economy, she was wondering if it was really worth the risk to walk away from the safety and security of that job and then try something new. It was at this point in the conversation that I mentioned to her that, well, I basically had to start my entire life over at the not-so-tender age of 38. And if I hadn't talked to somebody, gone into therapy back then, I don't think I would have had the courage or the clarity 
to make that sort of change. That's how therapy can help people. It can give you the tools to move forward with confidence and excitement as you make changes in your life. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, well, why not give BetterHelp a try? BetterHelp is entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can change therapists at any time for no additional charge. So if you're looking for a path forward, why not let therapy be your map with BetterHelp? Visit BetterHelp.com slash DisneyDish today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DisneyDish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. Do you feel like you need a bit more magic in your life? Why not give Storybook Destinations a try? Storybook Destinations is an authorized Disney vacation planner, and all other counselors who work for this full-service travel agency have received extensive training when it comes to the Disney theme parks, resorts, cruises, vacation packages, and more. These travel professionals have years of experience when it comes to planning customized Disney vacations, which is why you can always book with confidence when it's the Storybook Destination team that's helping you find the vacation of your dreams. Best of all, they offer their booking and planning services at no cost to you. So if you're once again ready to travel, why not learn more about what Storybook Destination has to offer by visiting their website, www.storybookdestinations.com. Parades, always a popular topic in Disney theme parks. Yeah, and we are in the middle of Walt Disney World's 100th anniversary celebration right now. Uh, But 40 years ago, A similar sort of year-long celebration was underway, and that one marked Walt Disney Productions' 60th Hmm. anniversary. And 1983, significant year for the company. April 15th of that year, Disney opened its first international theme park, Tokyo Disneyland. And then on May 25th of that same year, Disneyland had held a rededication ceremony for that park's Fantasyland area. Hmm. Back in 55, Walt didn't have the money to build what he wanted to build in this part of the park, a quaint European village. So Walt did the best he could with the money he had, uh, which meant housing the Disneyland dark rides like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride and Peter Pan Flight inside of show buildings that were supposed to look from the outside anyway, like tournament tents. And given that Fantasyland, most popular land at the park, always bothered the Imagineers that this part of Disneyland sort of look temporary, like the tents could be taken down overnight. And, you know, it's like, (laughs) where do all the rides go? So this is why when some money finally became available to do a facelift of this side of the park and in the early 1980s, the Badgers grabbed it and ran. By the way, in order to properly pull this project off, Fantasyland closed in December of 1981, right after the, the post-Thanksgiving uh, crowds cleared out, and then didn't reopen again till late May of 1983, 18 months. Most popular land in the park was closed off to the public. The park did what it could to soften the blow. As guests came to the turnstile uh, during this 18-month period, long period, they were hand, then handed a, a, a flyer which started off with a quote from Walt, Disneyland will never be complete as long as imagination is left in the world. And then <laughs> directly below that, it's like, in keeping with Walt's promise that when Disneyland first opened, we're currently creating a new fantasy land in order to bring a bright, exciting look to Disneyland's summer of 83. So we sincerely appreciate your understanding of this time. And, you know, the unsaid part was, uh, please don't kill us. Please don't scream at us. This is, we're doing the best we can. Yeah, 
there we go. But anyway, if you actually walk up the Sleeping Beauty Castle, you'd then see that the drawbridge leading to the Fantasyland Land had actually been pulled up and that uh, this sign was now in place. It, it said, wish upon a brighter star, a new Fantasyland Land coming true in 1983. Huh. By the way, that sign, Len, little optimistic. Uh, the, while the bulk of New Fantasyland did, in fact, open May 25th, 1983, the Alice in Wonderland section, uh, that part of the park, didn't open until April 13th of the following year. It's like a train, Jim. The train arrives, but then the back of the train still isn't in the, in the station, right? I love that analogy. There and they go. probably <laughs> wish they had that in 83, too. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> All right, okay. Good. 83, big year for the company, first international theme park, celebrating the 60th anniversary, and in brand new Fantasyland, reimagined, going to open at Disneyland. So, huge event, park stages this elaborate pageant right in front of the Sleeping Beauty Castle on May 25th. 500 cast members take part in the show, which, wow. by the way, is attended by Walt's widow, Lillian Disney Truants. As a nice touch, the kids who ran across the drawbridge into Fantasyland Back in July 55, during the live broadcast of the mm -hmm. uh, Disneyland opening, they were back. They found some of these these people who are now parents. <laughs> they're running across the drawbridge. They're grabbing their knees. They're holding their bats. <laughs> A couple of them are stopping because their cardio is so bad. <laughs> this would be me. <laughs> the TV would the TV crew would be like in the you know in the production van. They'd Cut away like, from that guy! Oh my I god! Know, it's you like do we, do we watch him collapse here or yeah. do we just keep panning? Keep panning. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. Third. <laughs> 30 TV crews actually covered wow. this thing. So I would bet you there is footage out there of just as what you speak. The, what, the way Disney talks about it in this press release is like, no, the, the, the kids who came, took part in July of 55 were back, but now they're there with their children. And as the drawbridge lowers for the second time, they politely lead their children into new fantasy land. So. Nice. Anyway, Dennis Despy, who is the vice president of entertainment for Walt Disney Productions, is put in charge of creating a new parade for Disneyland for the summer of 83. And he knew what with the 60th anniversary celebration and the opening of New Fantasyland, he had to come up with something special. So as Despy put it, we wanted to develop a parade that would create a fantasy, something new and different. So the idea that Dennis eventually came up with was Flights of Fantasy, which was the first parade designed for a Disney park to showcase inflatables. And we're talking not just... A, you know, I, I'm sure all of us are familiar with the Disney parades like Party Gras, that sort of thing, that have the inflatable element on the parade float. But this parade also included inflatable character costumes. Ugh. Okay, it's one thing to do this. I mean, for example, anybody who's been to Walt Disney World and seen the Festival of Fantasy parade, my favorite character in the entire parade is the mime from Tangled. But again, inflatable costume. So this is the first time they did that. All right. And so what Despy had in mind for this show was a massive undertaking. Flights of Fantasy would feature 10 different parade units and 155 performers. As I mentioned, it would feature inflatable character costumes as well as inflatable aspects of the actual parade floats, which would celebrate Disney animated classics like Snow White Alice in Wonderland, Sleeping Beauty, Winnie the Pooh, and even Fantasia, which we'll get to in a moment. So, Jim, was was the the reasoning or the rationale for the inflatable costumes that it would be it would still look like the characters? Like, if, you know, Winnie the Pooh is sort of like you know he's got a big tummy and stuff like that. But is the idea that like this is just a different take 
on what the characters look like using inflatables? Was that the was that the premise? I've come across an interview that Dennis did with the Disneyland line in in the spring of '83 uh, because you have to explain to the Disneyland cast members what's coming over the hill, yeah. and they're like, there will be a lot of animation, there will be a lot of movement, and that's mm-hmm. largely because you can lower the air pressure of something or could raise the air pressure. So, for example, on the Alice in Wonderland float, the golden afternoon section, the flowers would open and close as they raised and lowered the air pressure. Oh, smart. Okay. All right. Okay. Also, you can take advantage of the air pressure and create these really toony outfits. I mean, for example, one of the highlights of the parade was in the Winnie the Pooh section, they had a 12-foot tall heffalump playing a tuba uh, (laughs) in a marching band outfit. And think about how heavy the character costumes for the parades can be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, You'd never get one person to operate a 12-foot tall heffalump costume. No, but but on the other hand, because it's basically nylon that you're inflating out to this point, now, mind you, the performer inside... It's a chore to get into this thing, Len. You first had to put on a harness similar to what soldiers wear when they're going to jump out of a plane on a parachute. So, you know, I mean... Oh, because you've got you've to anchor yourself to uh, various points inside the inflatable. There so we go. Like, tilt there over. we go. Okay. Oh, that, okay. Oh, okay. That's... All right. I, I guess you okay. don't realize that till you till you start designing a 12-foot tall heffalump. There we go. And, <laughs> and not only that, but you also have to have an air pump. Each outfit had to have a, a battery-powered outfit that had an access port to the outside so it could pull air in and then pump, you know, keep the... the, the oh, out- okay. The, All right. So these these aren't like balloons that are like pumped up once and then deflated no, at the end of the parade. This no. is constantly... Okay. My, uh, yeah. my other idea here, Jim, was helium, but that... Uh, there there are obvious flaws in that in that idea as well okay so in suit air pump all right okay in suit air pump but this is the 80s i mean i mean that technology exists now because you and i've talked about kids Mm. i've seen in celebration wearing big hero six uh you know costumes and Mm. those involve in suit air pumps but this is 40 years ago when the technology is the, the miniaturization technology isn't what it is now and uh, not to belabor the obvious here, uh, batteries. Oh, battery technology is completely different, right? Yeah. Is this whole thing sponsored by Energizer? <laughs> oh, that it were. They, they would have then had somebody to turn to when they began to have problems with the batteries. Right. In fact, okay. performers backstage were actually advised not to fully inflate their suits until their particular unit of, remember, there's 10 oh, yeah. different... Yeah, yeah. You know. it's, like, it's like getting out of an airplane. You don't fully inflate the life jacket until you get out of the airplane. That's it, exactly. So oh, literally, okay. they, until they stepped onto the parade route, that they were basically got the two-minute warning, fired up the suit, and then began the march. You know, And again, remember, they step off from the small word gate at the back of the park. Yep. They march through Disneyland and eventually exit backstage uh, next to the uh, Main Street Dropper House. All right, so two questions. Number one, mm-hmm. how many minutes does it take for them to walk the entire parade route. If everything is going smoothly. <laughs> everything is going great. Okay. It's okay. it's 20 minutes. And you know what my next question is, is how long is the battery pack last? <laughs> 20 30 minutes. minutes. Oh, okay. 30 <laughs> minutes, Len. All right, All right. So you have 50% margin of error there, Jim. That's not bad. All right. They learned this the hard way from what happened at Disney Studios in the spring of 1983. Flights of Fantasy 
because it has to basically be designed from the ground up. Yep. You're not really reusing anything from previous parades. Right. It was expensive to design, to develop, sure. and produce. Okay, so there had been some grumblings from Disney's board of directors to the effect of how much does entertainment want for this stupid inflatable parade? You know, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. So yeah. as a way of placating Disney's board of directors to show them their money was well spent, Despy arranged for the Fantasia unit from Flights of Fantasy to be shipped from Anaheim up to the Disney lot in Burbank. And his idea here was that one afternoon, right after Disney's board of directors met for their, their quarterly meeting, these executives would be hustled out of the, the Royal Disney building and, and then stand there and watch as the flights of fantasy, you know, this chunk of the parade march by. And then, you know, the idea was that the board would say, oh, this is money well spent. That's charming. Okay, I will oh, no longer grumble Jim, this is it. before the parade debuted? This is before the parade debuted. That is a huge gamble. <laughs> Which did not pay off, Land. <laughs> darn, darn the luck. Well, we ended up with a story, Jim, so, you know, good. <laughs> well, by the way, this story comes straight from veteran Disney insider Tim O'Day, who has hours of these sorts of stories. So that particular meeting of Disney's board of directors runs long. Now, the performers for the Fantasia section of Disneyland's Flights of Fantasy are standing by, you know, some of them dressed as 12 feet tall, broomsticks carrying buckets, others are dressed as ostriches, hippos, and alligators. And, and they keep being told, all right, fire up your battery packs, they're coming out of the buildings. And, uh, stand by, they, they want a smoke break. But they're not recharging the battery packs as they're doing well, no, this. no, no. So they... This happens like three or four different times. You, it's know, like, you know that someone is like, should we go to Sears and get some batteries? Do we need to go to Sears? Jim, look at Steve over there. Attach the jumper cables. <laughs> there we go. God bless him for trying, you know? <laughs> no, I, absolutely. All right. So finally, the board of directors <laughs> meeting is over. These executives get hustled out of the, the Royal Disney building. And to ensure that they have the best possible viewing experience... They take them to the small town America set that has stood for years on the Disney backlot, but only okay. just recently, Len, it's been redecorated for Ray Bradbury's dark fantasy, Something Wicked This Way Comes. All right. Yeah, so, you know. That's not foreboding. Go ahead. All right. No, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. All right. So, the board of directors climbs up into the gazebo, center of the, the small town America set. And so, now what do they see marching toward them? Because of all those false starts, the batteries on all these inflatable suits only have 10% of power left. So <laughs> it's, like, it's like a parade unit designed by Salvador Dali. Oh, no, that's <laughs> exactly. No, 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 no. Yes, these are mel walking melted watches. All right. But, but, but broomsticks and hippos and alligators. And I'm told that what the, the board of executives saw was scarier than anything people saw in theaters. Oh, right. with, with Disney's. In, the, uh, in that setting, yeah. in the Something Wicked This Way Comes setting. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, that's great. Uh, and that was sort of the hint of what this summer was going to be like. I mean, and the parade, because of this issue, because it was inflatable, because there were battery issues, the entire summer was kind of an ongoing disaster. In fact, there's a great quote from a Disneyland line story about the folks who work backstage just to keep this thing running. It's like, 
every time the parade stepped off the route, you know, we would go mm-hmm. all, you know, this is uh, from decorating lead Manny Calso talked about, we'd go over all of the vinyl coverings and look for any leaks. Air is constantly being pumped in the inflatable. So some air does escape, but when you have too much air escaping, well, the whole thing can deflate and some of them can be fixed with a patch, but we get rips that we have to sew and all of those have to be hand sewn. How many performers are there here? 155 so every day it's like trying to it's like trying to look for leaks in 155 water park inflatable rats but 13 feet tall (laughs) you know costuming is like did we sign up for this yeah let's go back and review the contract (laughs) so wow is it any wonder that Flights of Fantasy had a, a relatively short run at Disneyland it stepped off June 18th oh Yesterday. Yeah, 1983, and only ran in the park to September 10th of that year. And then, you know, I would imagine that Manny Kelso stood backstage with a pair of scissors and just personally <laughs> chopped up all of those inflatable costumes. Now, mind Three you. Three months for a parade. Wow, that's not any time at all. Yeah, and a huge expense. Now, mind you, Disney would circle back on the idea of using inflatable elements in one of its parades just seven years later, Party Mm -hmm. Gras, which was held at Disneyland summer of 1990 as part of that park's 35th anniversary celebration. And then some of those very same cold inflatables would make their way to Walt Disney World as part of the uh, 20th anniversary celebration at the Magic Kingdom. But we'll talk about that on another show. Jim, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on the on the YouTube right now and find this parade. <laughs> this this sounds amazing. Sam Carter, the wonderful Disney designer, has put up a flights of you know he he took video of flights of fantasy oh. and you can watch this entire parade. I and, know what I'm doing tonight. Well, well, there we go. That's it's a great story, Jim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, again, thanks to Tim O'Day for sharing that. So yeah. I love the I love the idea of, of Disney trying something completely new that's that sounds bonkers. You know, that's yep. part of the company where it's like they're willing to take a swing even if it's a <laughs> even if it's a miss, right? That's beautiful. Yep. Yep. All right, folks, that's gonna do it for the show today. You can help support our show and to Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. Also, we have an email now for tech support at Bandcamp. That is support at bandcamp.com. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be DJing for up-and-coming singer-songwriter Pauline Hare on Stay With Me and other tracks at the Breakaway Music Festival, July 14th to the 16th, 2023, at the Azura Amphitheater in beautiful downtown Bonner Springs, Kansas. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.